Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the Venture Church Podcast. Venture is a life-giving church located in Bluffton, South Carolina, led by Pastor Sean Olson. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Now, let's dive into the word with Pastor Sean and his message for this week. I want to take a moment and welcome you. Welcome to Venture Church. My name is Sean Olson. I get the incredible honor of being the pastor of this church, and I want to thank you for choosing for choosing to be with us. Uh, we know we got a lot of things calling for your time, and we consider it an honor if you choose to be here. If you're a first or second time guest on behalf of our entire team, thank you so much. Last week, I began our Christmas series. Where are the Christmas people at? Come on, Christmas people. All right. Come on. You got your, your Santa hat on. You got your Christmas decorations up. Uh, I wore my red shirt and my red shoes. It's Christmas time. I get to do that. It's all right. I love Christmas. And here's the thing. Christmas tells us who the planners are and who the planners aren't. Because some people here, they had a Christmas list from like February. People are getting ready for Valentine's Day. They're making their Christmas list. And by Black Friday, it was all done wrapped and under the tree. And others of us are going, you know, at some point, we should talk about what we're going to buy our kids. Guilty. Guilty. You know what? The Lord does miraculous things. He gave you Amazon Prime. Come on, somebody. Hey! Come on, I preached the Amazon Prime gospel, last-minute shoppers. The anticipation, it becomes so much, right? Uh, The the build-up, it becomes so much, and, and now they've got like 57 days of Christmas movies, right? You can just watch it. I looked at the schedule. It's the Grinch who stole Christmas every other day, all right? So I looked at the schedule, right? But you got a Christmas movie every day. You got radio stations playing Christmas songs all the time. You got decorations everywhere. Sam's decorated in September, y'all. I walked in. I was looking for boating stuff, and there was a Christmas tree. I was like, not today, Satan. I live in the low country. We need some boating stuff a little bit longer than this. The anticipation, it builds up so much. I remember, I remember as a kid, like the whole week of Christmas, once I got out of school, I couldn't sleep. I, I, I don't sleep well anyway, but I don't know if you can tell. I'm a pretty passionate individual. I get excited pretty easy. And here comes Christmas, man. And I'd be, I'd be laying in bed, staring at my ceiling. And I would, I would sneak into my brother's room. I'm like, bro, you sleeping? He's like, I was too. You came in here. Well, you're not now. Let's talk about Christmas. Like, that was me. And then Christmas Eve, forget about it. I ain't sleeping. I'm laying there, tapping my feet, wiggling, going in. I I would go into my parents' room at 12.01. It's Christmas! It's Christmas! And they're like, it's going to be bedtime. (laughs) Or spanking time. It's one or the other, right? I'm like, but it's Christmas! And I would, I, would, I would be so excited, I'd wind up in my parents' room before my dad got home from delivering the papers. Thank God for a hardworking father. Come on, dads, you deserve it. We love you. We thank you. You're incredible. My daddy's out delivering papers on Christmas morning, so I've got a Christmas, and I was grateful for it. I'd be in my mom, and my mom would lock us in her room until daddy got home. I had the ears, supernatural ears that day. I'd hear his truck Little little S10 pickup truck. You know, if you had a little old school S10 pickup truck, you know what I'm saying? Little S10 pickup truck. That thing barely ran, but I'd hear it turn the corner. And I'm at the, at the door, waiting like the lion coming out of the cage, like a prize fighter ready for the match. You know what I'm saying? 
and the garage would open and mama could hold us back no longer, I'd run down. I mean, it was Christmas morning. We have our Christmas traditions. I'm sure you have yours. We'd run down and we'd do all of like the stocking stuff and my mom would make coffee. Praise him for coffee. Right, my mom would, my mom would make coffee and then we'd sit down and we'd read the Christmas story and then it was present time. Come on, somebody. We'd start digging in. And as, oh, man, and, and you know, you start this. I don't know what your tradition is like, but I think my parents were just trying to, like, drag it out. Like, you open a present, and you open a present, and you open a present, and you, and you open a present, and you. I'm like, I just want to dig in. I'm six years old, man. We would, we would go through it all, and then I would remember. And parents, you're going you're gonna to recognize this emotion. I would even remember as a kid, you're sitting there in the midst of wrapping paper everywhere, unless you're OCD and you throw the wrapping paper away as every gift is unwrapped, you need to have some fun in your life, okay? You need to have some fun. Just, it's okay if there's a little bit of mess and the OCD people are like ducking their head like, I feel it. It's all right. We love you, but you need to have a little fun. So you're sitting there in the midst of chaos and there's boxes everywhere and wrapping paper and new toys and in your heart you go, wait, it's over. You know that feeling? Like all of the sudden, all of the buildup, the months of shopping, the planning, the list making, and all of the sudden, it's over. And even as a kid, I'm sitting there in the midst of the toys, and all of my buildup, it's there in front of me now. But just like that, as quickly as it comes, it leaves. Why? Because we trade the simple truth of Christmas for the celebration of a season. Seasons come and go while truth lasts forever. Guess what? Two plus two will always be four. Two plus two will always be four. See, but we we have seasons even in our own life that come and go, but truth sustains and lasts forever. So what we've done is we've traded the simple truth of Christmas for the celebration of a season, and we make the celebration bigger to cover over the lack of truth. Oops. And we're missing the truth of Christmas For the celebration of a season, I'm going to make it simple. One line out of the Bible. Think about the power of this one line today. A Savior has been born. I don't need a Christmas tree. I don't need a stocking. I don't need anything else to tell you. The truth of Christmas comes out like this. Today, a Savior has been born. Without the truth of that line, my life is messed up and I'm a mess. Without the truth of that line... I've got no hope. Without the truth of that line, I've got no reason to celebrate. Without the truth of that line, I've got no purpose in my life. Today, a Savior has been born. And when I live by that truth, come December 26th, December 27th, December 28th, January 1st, the 2nd, and the 3rd, I've got a reason to get up and get out of bed and celebrate because truth lasts when celebration's in. You see, last week, I looked at the wise men and how their first reaction was that of worship. They show up to Herod, and they say, hey, where's the new king? We want to we worship him, not celebrate. Not celebrate. Christmas celebrations often steal Christmas worship. We're willing to celebrate, throw the party, and decorate, but do we worship that today a Savior has been born. It's not just a season of celebration, and I'm not telling you not to celebrate. Oh, man, we, we go ham 
on Christmas. Have all the fun, man. Make the big meals. Decorate the cookies. Make it memorable for your kids, but in your celebration, don't steal the worship of the season. It's a season of worship. The wise men, they show up to worship. When the wise men arrive, though, they don't just simply worship because they knew about him. They knew of him. The star was guiding, but they didn't just show up and and, and worship because they had this mental knowledge. Read what happens when they finally arrive. By the way, before I even read the scripture of when they arrived, I was reading this week, their journey could have been as long as 900 miles. Now, they didn't have cruise control in in their Ford Explorer with some leather seats, you know, in the entertainment package. I don't think their camels had all that. They had some sandals on their feet. Two years their journey was. Two years. And some of us, we quit walking in our journey because we get tired. Just because your journey's long today, just because you're exhausted, just because you're worn out. You know, we walked in the parade yesterday. Oh, uh, yeah, come on, somebody, for the Christmas parade. Hey, right? We'll talk about it at the end. Uh, we walked in the parade. I got home last night. Right? I got home, and I stopped. And you know what happens when you stop and you're old? Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know. Venture students over here going, I don't know about that. I feel great this morning. Well, good for you. You're young. Everyone else right now, we resent you because we remember it. We remember doing all that stuff and then getting home and be like, y'all want to play? My kid's like, you want to play, throw the football? No, I want to take an Advil. <laughs> Who are you talking about, throw the football? And someone's here, I thought you CrossFit. I do, that's for fun. This was pain, all right, right? Like you get home and all of a sudden you stop. Like, I'm just going to watch some football. Football goes off. Like, they walked for 900 miles to see Jesus. Your journey may be long and you may be exhausted and you may have the pain of a painful journey, but keep going because on the other side is your significance and your Savior. Don't stop. Don't stop believing for your miracle. Don't quit on your dream. Don't stop praying for that family member that you're like, man, but it's been a long time. They walked for two years. You see, we put, we put the wise men at the manger because it decreases the power of the journey. They don't belong in the manger. They belong on the way because there's an on the way to see the Savior that we diminish the power of your journey. Guess what? You've been praying for a while. Keep praying. Keep walking. Say, but I ain't seen my miracle yet. That's fine. Take another step. But that step hurt. So did it for them. You keep walking. And when they arrived, somebody say, when? When. Come on, when they arrived. Matthew 2. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed overjoyed. You see, often the Bible talks about being filled with joy. This one says they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And this ain't even in my notes, but let me tell you, sometimes we present our gifts to God first before our worship because we think our worth lies in our gifts, but it doesn't. It lies in your worship. I'm going to say it again. We present the gifts. Notice they presented worship first. Then they presented gifts. Sometimes we want to feel like we're worth something because we don't feel like we're valuable. So we open the door with our gifts first rather than our worship. But your worship is the only thing that you can give him that no one else can't. So put your gifts away and put your worship out there. I'm sorry. I'm ready to preach today. Y'all don't know. 
I don't know. I'm overjoyed. You see, when I read that statement, when I read that word, I see passion. I said, I'm overjoyed. How are you? Imagine walking in. It's like going into the library. How are you? I'm overjoyed. I'm sorry. What'd you say? I'm, I'm overjoyed. You walk into someone's house and you could just tell it's been a bad day. How are you? I, I'm overjoyed. Really? Because your face says it's been the worst week of your life. No, I'm overjoyed. It's like walking into church on Sunday morning. How are you? I'm fine. Hey, right. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm great. How was your week? It was awesome. Really? But really? You see, when I read the word overjoyed, I see excitement. Actually, what I see when you read the word and you read into the word is a pouring out of your soul joy. Now, that sounds deep. That sounds like college football, fan, excitement, your team's making it to the playoff, jump up and down even though you're wrapped in a blanket. Oh, that was me yesterday. I'm sorry. That kind of pour your soul out excitement. And here's my thing. If Christmas caused me to pour out my soul, what when my soul isn't happy but sorrowful? If Christmas tells me that the wise men came and they poured their soul out, then what's in my soul can come out. So if it's not over joy, what if it's over sorrowful? Or what if it's uncertain? Or what if it's sad? Or disappointed. You see, this is, this is what we do. We celebrate those that will pour out when it's over joyful, and we shame those that will pour out their complaints and sorrows. Oh, no, no, that doesn't belong here. I want to tell you that Christmas tells me it does. Christmas tells me that it's a place for me to pour out my soul. Look at the, the, the author of Psalms 142. I pour out my complaints before him. And I tell him all my troubles. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn wherever I go. My enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then, somebody say then. Yeah. Yeah. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. I love that place of refuge. I love that place of refuge. You see, when I was a kid, I had a place of refuge. Think back to when you were a small child, five, six, seven years old. Some of you are like, that's a long time ago. It's all right. Your mind will get there. It just takes us a little longer. It's like rewinding a cassette tape with a pencil. Come on. It just takes a little longer. Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. I'm having fun this morning because church is supposed to be a good time. Think about that kid when, when something would scare you, where you'd go. Some of us, man, we'd, we'd tuck ourselves under the bed and cover our head. Some of us, we'd get in the closet and hide under all the stuff we threw in the closet when parents told us to clean the room. Mm-hmm. We, just, we just used that as our barrier ground. For me, you see, my place was next to my parents' bed. Next to my mom and dad's bed. And, and every night when I would get scared, and you say, well, why'd you get scared? I'm glad you asked. Because my house as a kid was broken into twice. They stole my Game Boy one time, y'all. 
How you steal a kid's Game Boy? Let me tell you, you want to talk about tragedy? Someone break in my house and steal my kid's iPad. Lord help me, right? They stole my Game Boy. Once was armed. A man with a gun came into my house and stole stuff. Praise God, nobody was hurt. But you see, all of a sudden, you see, I have some issues. You see, as we get older, we just get better concealing our issues. That's all. But because of my issues, nighttime would scare me a lot, even to when I was 13 and 14 years old, venture students. And I would lie awake. And what I would do is I would wait till my parents went to sleep, and I would wrap myself in my brown bear blanket. Don't judge me. I would make my way downstairs. I would open their door. I would slide into their room, and I would lay down next to my mom's side because I knew if she would wake up, she would have the grace for me to stay, and my dad would send me back to bed. So I would lay down next to my mom's side because there I would be able to sleep. My parents' room was my safe place, and you probably had a safe place as a kid, but what I realized as I got older, what I realized as I got older is that wasn't the room that was the safe place. It was who was in the room with me. It wasn't a change in place I needed. It was a new person I needed. It wasn't my situation that needed to change. I needed to know who was in the situation with me. It wasn't the mess you're in. It's the person who's in the mess with you. It's not what scares you. It's who's present in the midst of your fear. It was never a change in the room. It was a change in people that were in the room with me. You see, I learned, I learned that without them, their room's just as scary as mine. You see, it had nothing to do with a change in location. Come on, is anyone glad for a God who is present in the room with us? Come on, praise break. Hey! Yeah, we came to have church. I'm glad to have a God that is present in the room with me, and that is the promise of Christmas, a present God. Isaiah 7:14, potentially my favorite Christmas verse of all of them. Now listen, on my family, we read Luke chapter two every Christmas morning. One of my prized possessions is my daddy's Bible. I have two of my dad's Bibles. One of them, oddly enough, is locked in a safe because it's a Bible my mom gave to my dad when they were dating. The other one sits on my desk. Uh, I'll go get my dad's Bible. And we read Luke chapter 2 because that's what we've done forever. But if I'm picking one Christmas verse, this one, this one's it. All right then. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look at the virgin, will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us, which means when you step into the room, you have a God that is in the room with you. When you step into the struggle, you have a God that is in the struggle with you. So when we celebrate Christmas and we remove the struggle, we remove the power of the baby. When we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating this present God. Christmas isn't something that happened. It's something that is happening. It's the promise of a present God, which means you have that safe person. You have that place to turn when life doesn't turn out as expected. You see, when I went to my parents' room one night, they were out of town. We have a babysitter, and the babysitter stayed in the guest room, and I got scared, and I go into my parents' room, but they weren't there. You know what I learned? It's terrifying in there without them. It's terrifying out there without him. 
It's terrifying when my life is falling apart and I don't have the promise of Christmas, but I have the celebration of Christmas. It's terrifying when I have all of the decorations and I'm missing the God that has promised to be with me. It's terrifying. And too often, this is what we do. We hope that a new environment or a new set of circumstances will change the feel of the room. Come on, when I get that new job, when everything's better at home, when I got enough money to pay the bills, when this happens, then it's going to make a difference. No, that's a change in the room. It doesn't change who's in the room. You got to change who's in the room if you want to experience the promise and peace of Christmas. You don't need a change in environment. Guess what? The grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's who's over there. That's what makes the difference. Someone's over there watering the grass. That's why it's growing. Maybe you need to get a lawn man called Jesus and have him water your grass, and all of a sudden it'll start growing. You need to invite somebody into the yard rather than trying to find a way out of the yard. You need to invite somebody into the struggle rather than finding your way out of the struggle. That's the promise of Christmas. You said, I thought I came for a Christmas message. This is the best Christmas message I can give you today. This is the best Christmas message I can give you today. Is that guess what? You can put on the fake and the plastic all December and have the smile ear to ear, but come January, if you're missing the person in the room, the struggle remains in your soul. But I believe when I look down and I see baby Jesus laying there in a manger, I can't wait to hold baby Simon. It's going to be the most spoiled baby on earth, and we all know it. Right? When I get to, when I get to hold, when baby Jesus opened his eyes, he opened my soul for hope. He opened his eyes, and you know, you, you, you always visualize that baby opening his eyes for the first time and breath coming in its lungs. When he breathed in, he breathed out hope for me and hope for you because he promised Emmanuel, God, with us. But we say, man, I don't know. This is what we do. We need to filter it. We need to filter our approach to God. So we come and, and we pray some King James prayer. Oh, Lordeth. How sorroweth is my soul if I can if. See, the Bible doesn't tell me to filter my approach to the throne. It says come boldly. It says come boldly. So you, you need to stop making your soul Instagram worthy and go ahead and send it heavenward because you filter your soul rather than pouring it out. And next thing you know, because you're not pouring out your soul, you're removing the promise of Christmas. And that is God is with us. What you cover, he can't heal. What you conceal, you'll always have. So we don't want to pour it out because it gets messy. It gets messy. I'm talking ugly crying messy. Y'all ever seen an ugly crier? Maybe you're an ugly crier. When they start crying, I mean like snot coming all down the face, right? I'm talking the eye makeup is everywhere, right? The hair's out of control. To me, that's what pouring my soul looks like. Pouring my soul does not look like movie theater. It does not look like what you post on Instagram and Facebook. It does not look like what you present on a Sunday morning. It looks rough. It looks messy. It looks disgusting. But that is what my Jesus longs to be for you. He says, I'll be your refuge. I'll be present in your time of need. So go ahead and let it out. Go ahead and let it out. We need to be able to pour out our soul. I love the wise man it says they were overjoyed. But what if I'm over sorrowful? What if I'm over sad? 
See, here's what I want. I'm about to give you some freedom today. My God's not afraid of your questions. Go ahead and ask. So you can't ask that. I did. I did. 2008. I got the call. Hey, uh, this cancer looks worse than we thought. I'm going to die. Hey, God, he served you in ministry for 30 years. Where are you at on this one? I asked. Oh, you can't ask that. You're a pastor. Well, then I did. I'll find another occupation because I'd rather be authentic than fake. Hey, now. Uh, Y'all say, I don't know what kind of church I walked into. You see, my God's not afraid of your feelings. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your anger. And he says he complained to God. He's not afraid of your complaints. Read through the book of Psalms. Two most often questions. Why, O God, and how long, O God? Why, O Lord, and how long, O Lord? I don't know about you, but I got two boys, and they ask a lot of the questions at the same time, and it seems to frustrate me. It seems to show God his faithfulness. He ain't afraid of your questions, and he's not afraid of your emotion. So you go ahead and you ask them. But listen, when you read through the book of Psalms, look how it ends. When you pour out, you got to remember his faithfulness. Psalms 42, 3 and 5. Day and night, I have only tears for food. Doesn't sound like Christmas time. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? Some of us, man, we woke up this morning going, where's God? Where's God in all of this? Where's God in my life? Your neighbors and, and your friends and your community. I said, where's God? See, we act like the Bible's this old school book that doesn't have anything to say. Where is the God of yours in all of this? My heart is breaking, the author says, as I remember how it, as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. You see, sometimes celebrations fade. See, sometimes celebrations, they fade away. But watch what happens. The truth comes back in. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior. Some people... Some people believe that, that David wrote this as his son Absalom rebelled, but looks at the complex emotion here. And three small verses. This is only three verses. And three small verses, you get this incredible disappointment, heart-wrenching cry in verses three and four. And some of us, we live our lives in three and four. We become victims and complainers. Three and four. Why, God? This is bad. I'm telling you, I'm giving you permission to let it out. You got some stuff in your life you don't understand, and you've been holding on to it. I'm giving you permission. Pour your soul out to God. Go ahead. Let it out. Scream at Him. Yell at Him. Say whatever you need to say. But then at the end, look how verse 5 ends. This is where it gets important. You can't stop at verse 4, because at verse 4, you got no victory. At verse 4, you got no resolve. At verse 4, you've got struggle without power and strength. Verse 5 says, but this, why am I discouraged? Why am I discouraged? Where is my heart set? I will what? Put my hope in God. Let me tell you, I got a verse 5 hope. I got a verse 5 faith. I got a verse 5, God, that even when everything around me seems to be collapsing, I can stand in verse 5 and say, I'm going to put my hope in him. Oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go silent. I'm not going to go quiet. 
I'm not going to act like it ain't happening. Oh, no. I'm going to come loud and I'm going to scream, but I'm going to get to verse 5. Some of you have been stopping at verse 4, which is where struggle comes in. And you feel like you're stuck in the struggle. Look at Jeremiah in Lamentations chapter 3. I love these verses, actually. We, we quote these. You'll be around the church and people be like, his mercies are new every morning. Yes, they are. Glory to the Lord. You're going to have new mercy tomorrow. You're going to wake up. You're going to open your eyes. You're going to see a new one. He's got a new. You know what, sir? He's got a new mercy for you tomorrow. What does that even mean? Hey, he's, oh, you got a good one coming tomorrow. A new one. A new mercy. Read it. Th- 3, 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Woo! Somebody get excited. Oh, we didn't read the first three verses. See, this is what we do. We read the rejoicing, but not the soul pouring out. Let's go back and let's read what the verse is right before it says, starting in verse 19. This This is literally... The three verses before what we just read. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. Whoa, that sounds like somebody completely different. Can I tell you, you can be in struggle and still have a present Savior? That's what Christmas is about. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still Dare to hope when I remember this. Then it goes into this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. You see, you're taking the power of the new mercies because you've removed the authentic struggle of the writer. My bitterness. You see, we clean up our soul pouring so the people around us will see it while the God above us longs for it. We clean it up. Oh, well, how are you? I haven't journaled today. Oh, man, you haven't journaled? Meanwhile, my life's falling apart. How are you today? Well, I'm struggling a little bit. I got a speeding ticket. No, actually, let me be honest. My whole life's imploding. I'm not sure my marriage is going to make it. I can't pay the bills, and I don't know where my kids are. I'm, I'm having a deep struggle. I got an ugly cry soul pouring out coming out of me. It's okay to pour your soul out. It's okay See, these verses to me sound like the outpouring of a present God pouring out my soul to him. You see, it's okay. Just remember, you can't end when you're defeated. You got to remember his faithfulness. You see, when I look at the manger, God became man. Just stop right there, y'all. God. I see, I don't know about you, but if I lived in heaven, I'm just being honest. I love you guys. I don't know, I'm leaving heaven to come hang out with you. Like, heaven's a cool, like, 82 degrees, sunshine year-round, the water is calm, asking you to put your boat in and hang out. It's football season all year-round because all other sports are meaningless. It's great. It's great. Right? It's perfect. God became man because he loved you. I'll see, but... We preach the celebration of a season, not the truth of the Savior. God became man, and when he did, it was an open invitation for you to pour out your soul to him. Stop making it look pretty and feel pretty. Sometimes it ain't pretty. Sometimes even when the tree's up and the decorations are pretty, your soul's not, and it needs to be poured out. And he gave you an invitation 
to pour out your soul because he's faithful, but he's also powerful. You got to remember his faithfulness and you got to trust his power. Listen to this psalm that was clearly written during one of the author's lowest moments. You see, Christmas isn't just a, an example of his faithfulness. It's an instance of his power. He did the impossible on Christmas. He, he overcame everything we know. So he started by saying, guess what, guys? Even as a baby, I'm going to show you how powerful I am. So it's okay to throw your soul out, to pour it out. But at the end, remember he's powerful. Psalms 102. I'm going to read a bunch of verses in here so you get, the, you get the emotion of it. Sometimes we strip the emotion out of the Bible. We make them all clean. We make them all sterilized, sanitized, and we read it monotone as if it didn't happen. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea. Don't turn away from me in my time of distress. Bend down and, and, and listen and answer. No, 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 no. Read this as if it was your prayer. Lord, Hear my prayer. Listen to my plea. Come on, you ever ask, like, really, God, don't turn away from me. I can't do it anymore. God, don't turn away from me. I can't do it anymore. That's the power of this prayer. God, don't leave me. I'm in my time of distress. Bend down. Come on, my prayers aren't being answered. I've been praying for a family member for a long time. That's the message of the scripture right here. Listen to me. It's like my 11-year-old. Dad. I don't respond, dad again. Dad again, are you listening? Are you answering? That's the, the attitude here. Listen to my prayer, God. My soul is pouring out. I don't know where to go. I don't understand what's happening. I'm broken. I'm hurting. Would you listen to me? And answer me quickly when I call to you because I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold on. I don't know. Because of my groaning, I'm reduced to skin and bones. I lie awake lonely. As a solitary bird on the roof, my enemies, they taunt me. Seems like it's coming after me, God. One after another, bad goes to worse. Come on, this is real stuff, y'all. This ain't pretty church world. This is authentic soul pouring out groaning, and we need to learn the art of doing it. We need to get back to the place of having a present God that we can pour our soul out to. My enemies, they taunt me. Day after day, they mock and curse me. I eat ashes for food. My tears run down to my drink. <laughs> that sounds pretty bad, right? Sounds like a deep struggle. Man, listen, I've been there. I've been there. You're probably there right now. Sitting at the tree, everything's all right. And the temptation is, cover it up. Oh, don't pour it out. And, and we've said for years, oh, you can't, you, you can't say that. You can't ask that. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Since when did we let our souls and our faith become so clean and white? It's messy. It's art. It's passion. But verse 12 steps in. Hey, I'm glad for verse 12. All of that agony, all of that sorrow, tears running down into my drink. But you, O oh Lord, will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. You are powerful beyond my pain. You're powerful beyond my pain. You save me in my struggle. And sometimes 
We don't praise in our pain so we don't see his power. Come on, church. We stop and be silent and we never pour our soul out. And he's up there going, I want to be your refuge. I want you to pour your soul out to me. I'm comfortable with your questions and I'm okay in your mess. You don't need to be pretty and perfect to come to my throne. You come boldly. You don't need a filter. It ain't going on Instagram. I told them when they put these here, I was going to preach on them. Christmas, the baby, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us is an open invitation for your soul to be poured out to him. Stop making it pretty. Stop hiding your struggle. Because when the baby opened his eyes, he said, come on, I'm not afraid of your mess. I'm not afraid of your mistakes. I'm not afraid of your struggles, your questions, your concerns, your uncertainties. I am God with you. So stop hiding it and stop putting it behind a filter. You see, if you're going to get to a but you, oh Lord, moment. But you, oh Lord. See, that only comes out when we're pouring our soul out. My life's falling apart. But you, oh Lord, you're powerful beyond my pain. So I'm going to praise in the pain till I see your power. I'm going to praise in the midst of the pain. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly crying, snot going everywhere, hair messed up, because I got to go somewhere with it. I'm dying holding on to it. Some of us, our soul is collapsing in on us because we're holding on so tight to our struggle. He says, pour it out to me. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of your questions and your mess. I'm not afraid of your marriage falling apart because I restore broken things. Come on, somebody. I'm not afraid of your financial anxiety because I own a cattle on a thousand hills and I own it all. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of your uncertainty. And guess what? I'm not afraid of your lack of faith. All you need is that of a mustard seed. And I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you ask, dream, or imagine. So here's an invitation. Go ahead and pour your soul out to him. But here's the thing. You're not enough. Stop trying to be. Let me tell you something. Christmas is not enough. Will you meet me here Christmas is again? not enough to cover over the pain of this morning. All I not. Want Christmas is not enough is to cover over the depths of your struggle. Will you Emmanuel me here is. Emmanuel means God with me. Not enough. God with me. Oh, no, 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 not on Sunday morning at a church. No, 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 no. Will you meet in my closet when I don't know where to turn and I'm in there trying to hang the clothes up and I just feel broken and I fall on my knees and I go, God, I can't do this anymore. That's Emmanuel. When I'm walking up the stairs, I don't know if I'm making up the stairs because the depths of my soul are crying out and I sit on the stairs and I'm crying and it's ugly and I'm broken and I don't know where to go. That's Emmanuel. That's Emmanuel. That's my God with me. Let's stand up and get him some praise.
You're not enough on your own. Unless you it's all right. Come, and some of you woke up this morning with questions deep in your soul. Struggling the depths of who you are. And you hide it and you cover it up. Let it out. I'm not enough, God. Cause all I want. We need you in this room, God. Is all you are. Will you meet me here again? With your head bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to, I want to present this thought to you. What made my parents' room safe was the depth of the relationship I had with them. Same room and put a stranger in it. It's not safe anymore. And sometimes we've allowed God to become a stranger to us. All these songs and all the source of our strength and even Christmas. Christmas isn't about a season. It's about a God who wants a relationship with us. And he showed us that he would do all of the work. You can't work your way back to God, so stop trying. You don't have to be perfect. He just has to be present. Stop trying to make it Instagram worthy and Facebook worthy. Your mess is enough. That's what he wants. The rest of the world will tell you to clean it up first. He said, bring it to me messy. I like it. That's why I came. That's why I gave my son. All you have to do is say yes. You're in this room, and maybe you've been celebrating Christmas all your life, but you don't have a relationship with the Messiah, the one, the Savior. I want to ask you a question right now. No one's looking around. It's just me and you. You be honest with me. You be authentic. You let your soul cry out in this moment. Say, man, I need that relationship. Just raise your hand and look at me. No one else is looking around. I'm just going to pray for you. That's the only reason I want to know. Thank you. Come on, I need that relationship. Thank you. Come on, three. Thank you. Don't hide. Your soul wants to cry out right now. Go ahead. Get your hand in the air. He's not afraid of your questions. Anybody else? I don't want to miss you. I just want to pray with you. I just want to pray with you. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. I'm going to ask all of my friends right now, those that raised their hand, and if you didn't, let's just pray it anyway. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, today I thank you for loving me, for being my refuge, for caring and coming. Today I make you Lord in your name. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed today's message, take a second and share it with your friends. Here at Venture, we believe in the power of being connected with a local church body. So whether that's with us at Venture or another local church near you, we encourage you to get plugged in. We hope you have an amazing week. And thanks again for listening to the Venture Church Podcast.